Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Kavidar. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. James Malt, who is a trained cardiothoracic surgeon. He's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and founder and chief executive of BioIntelligence, which is a data as a service platform company delivering breakthrough medical grade biosensor technology with unique clinical intelligence for scalable remote patient monitoring. And I'm very excited. Uh, we're gonna hear more about that, the concept and, and the company. And, and uh, for me, that, that's gonna be a tremendously fun part of the podcast. Dr. Malt has more than 35 years of experience in senior executive positions in the health IT and medical device industry, as well as clinical medicine for organizations such as Qualcomm Life, Microsoft, and Microlife. He has founded five health IT and medical device companies, is the named inventor of over 80 issued and pending patents for a variety of novel health IT and medical device innovations and is a board-certified general and cardiothoracic surgeon. Today, we're going to be talking about the important work uh, that his company, BioIntelligence, has done in the area of remote patient monitoring, the innovations he's made throughout his career to improve the methods for capturing patient data, and his new focus on decentralized clinical trials as he heads up a newly formed special interest group for the ATA. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with such an accomplished champion of telehealth and a personal friend, uh, and excited to welcome you to the podcast, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Joe, it's always a pleasure, and, and I've been looking forward to this uh, chat together with, with an old friend and, and colleague uh, through the decades, uh, and truly yourself uh, as a pioneer. I, I've always uh, been honored to, to be on stage with you through the years, and, and uh Really excited to have this conversation this morning. Well, let's jump right in. So you're doing some very interesting things at, at BioIntelligence. Uh, your company's focus on medical-grade data services for continuous monitoring of vital signs, physiologic biometrics, and symptomatic events for scalable remote care, including COVID-19 symptom monitoring. Uh, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about the company, how it got started, how it works what you see as the main innovations uh, that are working here and, and a little bit about the roadmap. I know that's a lot, but go for it. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, well, as, as again, we, we've both been in this together for now more than two decades. And, uh, you know, I think we've all uh, shared a common vision, which is to, to move the practice of medicine uh, from the, intermittent haphazard nature uh, that's existed for literally 2,000 years. Um, if you were sick, you went to see the doctor and the doctor would see you. And, uh, you know, we've all known uh, since the turn of the century uh, that that digital health had had enormous potential to transform uh, the delivery of healthcare, not just moving to electronic records, but to also deliver better care to vastly more uh, people at a fraction of the cost. And, and, and technology has transformed uh, every industry 
you know, in our in our economy, whether it's the banking industry, the travel industry, um, but but healthcare in particular has has lagged behind for a number of reasons. And you know, the vision that I think we've all shared is is with technology we can move from from an episodic model of care to to a continuous care model and we can move from from delivery of care in a fixed facility versus the ability to decentralize care as we're going to be talking about this morning and be, be able to deliver care and clinical trials uh, to individuals and patients you know, on their terms uh, that are more convenient to them and actually have significant advantages relative to, to the cost of, of care delivery as well as the safety. And so, you know, this has been a, a two-decade journey for, for both of us. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, the progression of technology. We've seen the progression of, of, of electronic records going from paper-based to, to electronic-based uh, information. That, that is a critical starting point. But it really didn't stop there when we when we started to implement you know meaningful use and and the uh, install of of the electronic medical record system which still has some work to do as we all know uh, but when we start talking about the actual delivery of care to patients outside of the the fixed walls of of the hospital and the clinic um, you know we've we've also I think uh, taken it, the, the time has taken much longer, uh, and I, I espouse my my five tenants for now over a decade. Uh, you know, the five key elements that really need to be overcome for us to get to a place where where virtual care and remote patient monitoring is my favorite term is ubiquitous. Uh, where we'd all like to be is is a place where where we can take care of patients in many cases uh, uh, high acuity uh, states without having to admit them to the hospital and be able to take care of them uh, remotely and virtually. And those five tenants are 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 generally quite uh, easy to convey, and and it starts with the the user experience on the part of the patient, uh, you know, the the easier that burden is delivered, the more likely we're going to get adoption and the ability to to render these solutions. To to say it another way, um, you know, expecting a patient to to go home with a an armful of equipment and set it up and figure out how to make these measurements and to to impose some level of of significant effort on the part of the patient or to, uh, their their caring family we've all learned is is a is a challenge that's often not met and we have poor compliance um, secondly the technology 
needs to be medical grade. We've we've seen, you know, some early use of of consumer wearables, uh, which which gave us uh, uh, some initial excitement, uh, but realizing uh, there's a limitation to uh, being able to make life and death decisions uh, from data that that doesn't have uh, validated clinical accuracy uh, or reliability or safety uh, that we need to to rely upon, uh, certainly when we're taking care of sicker patients. And we need something that has the medical grade nature of, of the intensive care unit uh, or bedside monitors that, that we have in the hospital. You know, the third aspect is certainly uh, when you're delivering care outside the four walls of the hospital and the clinic, it needs to be uh, encrypted. It needs to be cyber secure. It needs to be treated under the the rules of of, of HIPAA. And you know, again, and this comes back to the entire fundamental trust relationship between between the the provider and the and the patient, and, and being able to ensure that. The data is 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 being generated by the patient uh, that you're caring for, uh, and that the patient can rely on the the care and treatment that's that's being delivered by the provider. Um, and then and then the fourth one is the fact that we need smart systems to be able to to manage all of this new data coming from decentralized care and decentralized clinical trials. We, we don't want to burden the cost of healthcare by, by requiring more and more individuals to watch the data. We're in a place where technology should be able to watch the data, apply algorithms and, and rules and, and uh, you know, analytics, and be able to identify individuals via exception management and show clinicians who needs attention versus who's just doing fine. And then lastly, and certainly not least, is it's critical for us to have the ability to get paid and incentivize the system uh, to practice virtual care and remote patient monitoring. Uh, Absent reimbursement programs um, your 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 provider organizations are relegated to bringing a patient into the clinic or into the hospital uh, in order to to pay the bills and and uh, get remunerated. So the good news, I think, Joe, is we are at that tipping point now where all of those elements are coming together, and uh, the creation of biointelligence is. Certainly, what we hope to be uh, the the grand finale, if you will, of 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 my journey uh, to to making it possible for uh, the five of these these tenants to be able to come to fruition. Well, there you have it. That's a, a clinic in uh, <laughs> and 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 uh, it's just so valuable. So, but let, let's. Um, so you 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 reference clinical trials a couple of times. Let's let's uh, transition to that. I'm 
so pleased that Anne was able to uh, recruit you to head up the ATA's new decentralized clinical trials special interest group. It's uh, that that's a really big growth area for ATA. Uh, some of the areas you'll be focusing on include policy advocacy to remove barriers uh, impacting clinical trials, practice guidelines for leveraging telehealth and remote patient monitoring solutions in clinical trials, and addressing issues related to data flow patient participant experience. Uh, Love it if you could give uh, our listeners a little more color on the work of the special interest group and how ATA is hoping to be able to impact clinical trials. Well, this is very exciting for me, Joe, and and I I was honored uh, to to be uh, uh, recruited for this opportunity. You know, there's, there's no question the advancement of, of medicine depends heavily on on our science and on our ability to to study new treatments and new medications and identify the the therapeutic benefit and also identify the potential risks and side effects. Um, historically, uh, clinical trials, even as it relates to to practice guidelines and and you know the way we take care of, of patients in general, have really been held back, frankly, um, by the, the ability to recruit uh, large uh, you know, populations to participate in these trials, uh, the corresponding cost of these trials, you know, the fact that the average gold standard practice guidelines you know, are updated every five to ten years. As an example, the 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 time cycles that it takes in order to to develop new science and to validate it with clinical trials, I, I think, has been once again trapped in an antiquated uh, set of limitations by 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 an analog practice. And so we are at a point now where we have the technology, we have the ability to implement virtual care tools, we have the technology to be able to implement remote patient monitoring devices to be able to capture data. And the ATA has been instrumental uh, over the past literally two decades uh, in this same journey in you know, helping you know bring that to the forefront of of our policymakers of reimbursement, and now for clinical trials, um, we're at a place where it's really important for us to to come together and and solidify around the the the, the way to implement these and and the the corresponding. You know, I, you know, it's really important to articulate the clear benefits um, to be able to recruit uh, more patients more quickly, to be able to conduct clinical trials uh, at a lower cost, and 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 be able to get to to answers. Just like, frankly, we were learning quickly, uh, you know, by fire with with COVID vaccine trials. We 
we need to accelerate the way we're conducting these trials and yet maintain or improve safety. And that can be done, uh, especially if technology is leveraged appropriately. So it's very exciting to, or to help organize uh, this special interest group and, and really lay out the, the framework and, and pave the road going forward for how we come together with, with industry, with the pharmaceutical industry, with the technology industry, and with policymakers and payers and providers and make sure that we know how to do it and, and know how to do it right um, so that we can all benefit from this new approach. Yeah. So I have a follow-up uh, on question, uh, which is uh, references that uh, a paper that I, I saw recently in the Annals of Neurology, really addressing the new normal, if I can put that in quotes, for clinical trials as a result of COVID-19. And what was most notable about this paper is they highlighted the need for clinical trials to be designed around the needs and preferences of patients rather than a sponsor or site, which as you know, is, is pretty uh, revolutionary thinking. Uh, I wonder if you could say a little bit more uh, as you think about this new special interest group about how technology, uh, including video, audio, asynchronous interactions, and of course, the kind of things that you're doing at BioIntelligence, how, how can those technologies play a role in decentralizing clinical trials and making them more patient-centric? Yeah, there's, there's no question. I, I, I think... Uh... The rapid expansion of virtual care because of COVID, uh, you know, has has forced us to to make the leap in many cases where where there was reluctance in the past or or hesitation. Um, we've now learned that that actually the data is showing quite clearly patients very much uh, have have experienced virtual care now many for the first time in their lives and they like it uh, they actually realize the the benefits uh, and the conveniences and and now developing that trust in fact I saw uh, a recent set of data from Accenture uh, showing that that the overwhelming majority of of patients who have experienced a virtual care visit over the past, six, eight months because of COVID, have more than 80% said that that would be their preference uh, or that they would uh, be more than happy to receive their care going forward uh, using telehealth and virtual care visits. So I think it's a really powerful lesson that participation in clinical trials should be able to enjoy you know, no less enthusiasm on the part of participants and and uh, you know, the, you know the the implementation of clinical trials, and and that's very exciting for for recruiting patients and for uh, compliance in, in these various trials. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. I have to say, I fell into this uh, role uh, about a year ago, and uh, I don't know, it, it, it's been fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as we noted in your introduction, and 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 my own personal interactions with you have been through really m admiring, uh, as well as in some cases partnering with you uh, around some of your initiatives as a 
true serial entrepreneur, um, starting your career as a heart, uh, lung transplant surgeon, shifting into software where you focused on creating ways to effectively capture better patient data. Uh, as we mentioned in the intro, you've worked at Microsoft, Qualcomm Life, starting uh, and started an RPM company, Healthy Circles, before all of this. What are the two or three top lessons learned that you would share with entrepreneurs who are just starting out? Wow. Well, uh, I think the 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 first one is resilience and persistence. You know, the the old adage is the uh, you know it's it's easy to, to identify the the pioneer because that's the the one with uh, all the you know all the scars and bruises to show for it um you know when when we uh created the first cloud-based electronic health record uh with health vault back in 2007 uh, that was a very remarkable experience in in a number of ways uh, and you 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 will always have those who resist and and want to keep things the way they were. Um, there are always uh, those who who are reluctant uh, or hesitant about the unknown. Um, and and then what's interesting is also you you have to help people see the potential benefits, um, and, and and that's that's a. A very important skill set in an entrepreneur is is to be able to draw a vision and and to be able to articulate that in a way that allows people to see it and and buy into it and be willing to take that first leap. Um, you know, and and it was interesting even when we talk about you know privacy and security and and putting you know, your health information uh, into the internet. And that's commonplace now, but but in 2007, that was a really, really big deal that a lot of people had a hard time with. What you quickly realize is that people will always focus on the the potential risks and the downside. And, you know, that's kind of easy to stop people from moving forward because the only thing they see are the potential risks and and they've never experienced the benefits everything we do as an entrepreneur and in life in general is is all about balancing you know the risk against the potential benefits but if you if you can't see the benefits or if you've certainly never experienced those benefits then really the only thing you have to do is focus on the risk. And I think an entrepreneur has to, has to do an effective job of, of painting the picture of those future benefits, just like with decentralized clinical trials. We've got to articulate very cleanly why this is so important, why it's so impactful to move to decentralized clinical trials and, and all the great benefits and and advantages we will gain by making that transition because it's just easier to stay with what you've got and what you know you know because it's 
you know, the, the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. So it's really important to create, you know, that you've never you've never tasted the carrot, but you got to show people that carrot and convince them that it's really juicy and tasty. <laughs> I love it. Uh, again, more wisdom, l- love hearing it. And, and um, honestly, I think that that's also a lesson in leadership in general from my perspective, but I, I think you've, you've articulated it in a way that uh, is just very, very impactful. Uh, well, we, we've covered a lot of ground today. It's, it's, um, we could go on for hours. I'm going to let you go soon. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you wish I would have? Well, I, I think uh, we, we really should make sure we talk about the, the invitational nature of what we're doing. Um, it's very important. I think you, you mentioned it earlier, but I want to highlight it in this effort uh, with the um, special interest group around decentralized clinical trials, but also with ATA in general. Uh, This is is the breakout moment for virtual care and telehealth and remote patient monitoring. And the ATA is the vehicle in which, you know, the the industry uh, will come together to to pave that road to, to, as I described, I think, certain ubiquity now in the coming decade. And, and it's very important for us to express the, the, the approach that, that I've already experienced with, with you and Anne and the, and the ATA in general is, is we are very, taking a very invitational approach uh, uh, tactic in this regard. We want the participation of of the pharmaceutical industry, of the technology industry, of providers, uh, of other associations. We we need to come together and and do this as a coalition and a very diverse coalition with diverse perspectives because it, it's an opportunity to to get it right. And to really, you know, we're going to look back now 10 years, uh, you know, from 2020. So in 2030, we should be looking back uh, at, from 2030 and saying, wow, look at how much it's changed. Could you imagine trying to do clinical trials the way we we did them, uh, you know, before 2020, and and we should all be shaking our heads, going, "Gosh, I can't imagine having, you know, doing it, you know, the old way." Um, but but we're going to get there by doing it together as a coalition. And I just want to convey the message to anyone listening uh, that your participation is welcome uh, and and needed, um, and and we look forward to working with everybody together. Yes. Well, I'm, I think that's a perfect way for us to go out on a high note. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, really exciting to reconnect with you uh, after a few years. And honestly, very excited and thankful that you're, uh, be, you're willing to lead up the Special Interest Group for ATA. I know it's going to help both the industry and the organization. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Joe. And, and I do want to say I was thrilled uh to see you taking this leadership role at the ATA. It's, uh, 
it's a perfect uh, scenario and I congratulate you and, and look forward to uh, working with you under your leadership. Thank you, Jim.